Let me pray and then we'll start our sermon this morning. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the people that are hearing your word. God, thank you for allowing uh, me, uh, just a broken sinner, to be able to, to preach. Lord, I pray it's honoring and glorifying to you. I pray that you would uh, just bring our hearts to a closer and deeper understanding of the, the struggle that we have with being um, humans that sin. Lord, help us to identify and to see that you are the good and perfect master. Um, help us not to be deceived and manipulated by our own self-righteousness. Uh, we want to honor you. We want to glorify you in all things and all ways. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Today's text is Romans 6, 15 through 7, 6. So we're going to carry cover a large portion of I'm going to read the text first. Uh, it says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I read this, I think, uh, what does it mean to be free? Uh, freedom has a lot of implications. Uh, freedom in your citizenship. Uh, it could be freedom from uh, addiction. It could be freedom from, from debt. 
or free from a bad or broken relationship. Freedom from oppression or imprisonment or jail. So Paul is anticipating this question. What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Because we're free, should we go on sinning, right? He has spent the first five chapters in Romans teasing out and explaining what it means to be indoctrinated by justification or in justification. And now in the sixth chapter, we see Paul begin to shift the theological spotlight to what the process of sanctification looks like. And he uses this very real and very practical approach by stating that we all have a master. Now, our work in this is to identify who our master is. But he wants to make sure that all those who are, are reading this letter, uh, that are, are speaking this, this letter out loud, um, that are using this letter as text to preach from, he wants to make sure, make no qualms about it, that we, are, that we all have a master in our life. We all have something that masters us. And he also wants to make sure that it's very clear to those hearing this letter today that you can only have one master. And he sums, he sums it up in saying that, that, that you're going to be a master of the flesh or you're going to be a master, you're going to be mastered by the spirit. And when I think about this, I think about going back to the creation story and thinking about well, where did where did this idea of, of having a master come from? Going all the way back to the creation, to Genesis one, and thinking, uh, did Adam and Eve have have a master? Well, it says that in, in Genesis one twenty seven, it says that we were let us make them. We made, we were made by God. And so if something is made, that means that the maker of that something is its master by definition. The creator of, of that thing or that person is now mastered by the creator. The creator gives it identity. It gives it um, guidance. So it is created. So I have to ask the question. I think about the Trinity. I think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And who created God? Well, no one. God was not created. He has always been. He says that I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So he has no master. He is the creator of all things. He creates and sustains and cares for all things, not only by position, but also he does it by perfection. He does it in a way that no one else could ever do it. He does it because he's good. And he's loving and he's a perfect master. And he knows how to perfectly sustain what he's created, provide for what he's created, care for what he has created. And he does it perfectly. So having a master is not a reaction of the fall. We were made in the garden to depend on the one that created us. And he gave us all things. He taught Adam and Eve to rely and and uh, to depend on him for everything. Depended on him for community. They depended on him for communication. They depended on him for food. They depended on him for guidance. He even he gives them boundaries in the garden, right? He says, uh, you can do anything here. You can eat anything here except from these two trees. 
then something that God created came along, slithered along, and told them a lie. And so you got to realize that, that God created Satan, Lucifer, the fallen angel and the fallen angels. That is a creation of God. They once were under, they were once mastered by God and rebelled against God. And now we see them in the garden coming after God's creation, Adam and Eve. And so this snake slithers into the garden and tells Adam and Eve a lie. And Adam and Eve believe this lie over God's word. Adam and Eve made the decision to invite a new master into the existence of humanity. The one that was created by God and then therefore removing the creator from being the master and inviting a creation, part of creation to become their master. So hear this. There are only two options to be mastered. Obey the master God. So what that looks like is God's, God's perfect word. It's pretty clean. It's pretty easy uh, to, to get our heads around what it looks like, but it's hard to do because of our sin nature. But he says that if you abide in my word, then it will abide in us. And so being obedient to the master God or being obedient to the devil, the flesh. And this is really muddy. This is really confusing uh, because there's so many different Layers to that. It's so easy to manipulate uh, what that looks like. Um, we're easily deceived and easily manipulated to think that that um, that we're really kind of our own our own master. So we don't really like the idea uh, that we could have a master. But you have to understand this: that anything that was created by God could never be a good master. Only God can be a good master. And we live in a culture today that when we have the, when we think about the idea of, of being or having a master over us, we immediately are allergic to that idea. We live in a day and age today that uh, we like to be independent. Uh, we like to choose to do what we want to do because of the way we feel. And because of the Christian culture that we live in, we so often use God to catapult our feelings as being right or just. And what happens is that it impacts everything in our life. The, the, the idea of, of, of us being our own master and no one else being a master over us. Uh, and so that plays out in different areas of our lives. It impacts everything. It impacts our family, impacts our marriage, um, the way we parent Every relationship that we walk into, the job, the church, because so often we take the people that are assigning things to us, even if they are perfectly aligned with Scripture, and we say, no one can tell me what to do. I don't like the idea of being told what to do, so I'm going to rebel against that idea, even if it lines up with Scripture. Because we don't like the idea of having a master. Yet what is happening is when we're doing that very thing, we are becoming our own master. Which is uh, very scary. And it is the easiest way and the quickest way to self-destruction. And that is being a slave to sin when we are our own masters. And that's what Paul is preparing us to, to think about today. But I just want to start with just thinking that there are only two masters. Slaves of God, which leads to obedience. 
in righteousness or a slave to sin, which leads to death. So verse 15 says, and then are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So I've always kind of thought about sin as something that we commit, right? It's something that we're not really a slave to, but it's something that, that happens in a, in a pocket, in a moment in time. And then uh, we enter into that and we commit sin and we move, we move past it or we, we, we change our behavior and manage our, our lives a little bit. But if I'm reading chapter three and it says that we, we've came in and we were, we were created to be mastered by something. And then Adam and Eve invite this, this new master into, into humanity, that, which is they're believing a lie um, uh, and being self, uh, self-focused self and not God-focused. They they're not believing God's word. And then in Genesis 4, we see that Adam and Eve um, become parents. And this, this idea of being your own master, this idea of doing what you want, um, is, is passed down to Cain and Abel. You know, if you know the story, uh, we're not going to tease it all the way out right now, but Cain and Abel, they both give God a sacrifice and God is pleased with Abel's sacrifice and not pleased with God, with uh, Cain's sacrifice. And Cain becomes violently jealous of his brother Abel. And God says to Cain in this, in verse uh, six of chapter four in Genesis says, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do not, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So God is sitting there and he's telling Cain, look, man, this anger you have going on inside of you. If you don't get that thing under control, then it's going to rule over you. You have to rule over it or it is going to rule over you. This sin that you're about to commit is going to rule you. It's not going to, it doesn't say, hey, you're going to commit this sin. It says that it's going to rule over your life. And that's exactly what happens. Cain kills his brother Abel. And God's response sends Cain to be a wanderer for the rest of his life. A slave to sin. Which kind of leads me to the idea of like when this language Paul is using in our culture the imagery of slavery, uh, it's interesting what it does to us, mostly because of the, uh, the gross and um, uh, the, the bad history that our nation has with the abuse of humans, um, masters being uh, hoarding over and abusing other human beings. And that's not what Paul's talking about here, but I do want to just say that that, I think, just um, makes the point that anything that's created is not meant to be a master over anyone or anything. Something that was created will never be a good master. But what Paul, I think, is pointing us to here is to look at how uh, when we have something in our life that's going to rule over us, we have to understand the implications of what that thing is trying to do. And the goal here of the devil is that if sin is our master, if we're a slave to sin, that the goal of the devil is that we would die not thinking or not knowing that we are a slave to sin. Versus a master 
and God who is offering life and freedom and that we would be rescued from sin. So verse 17 says, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So there are these two pathways of having a master. There's one that 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 leads in great joy and great delight in abiding in God's word. And that this perfect loving master will guide us through this, this life. Um, this process called sanctification where he is shaping and molding us to be more like him. Or the other pathway is this rancid master who will pull you along Treating you like a puppet, allowing you to believe that everything that you do, that that you're in control by gratifying your flesh at every turn. Be angry, be sexual, be rich, be uh, deceiving, be slanderous, but do it all in darkness. And this master, what he does is uh, he teaches us that anything that we do is always justified by our actions. And so we're always in the right or always the victim to blame someone else. And that's what it looks like to be a slave to sin. So in verse 18, Paul says, Paul's declaring, we have been set free from sin. Have become slaves of righteousness. And very specific, he says how, he goes on, he tells us how that happens. Well, he wants us to go back. He wants these these Jews here in Rome to think about their past history. And how God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. And brought them into freedom to walk in the promised land, being guided by God. (laughs) Having God as their their master, their director, their protector, their sustainer in every single way. And he provides for them commandments and laws. And those commandments and laws aren't to be an anvil uh, around their neck or bondage. But it's to point them to understand that you can't do any of these things Without me. And you're going to fail them every day. We fail them every single day. Even if we were to narrow it down just to the first commandment. It says that you should have no other gods before me. All of us hearing this today. We all are worshipers of something now, we want to worship God. We may worship God, but during this day today, we're going to find ourselves wrestling with the idea that I'm worshiping something other than God. My attention is going to be taken off of God and placed on, you name it. It could be your car. It could be your house. It could be the project in your yard. It could be your wife. It could be your husband. It could be your child. It could be your calendar. It could be your agenda. It could be worrying about how people are going to perceive you or look at you. Something's going to pull you away from being fully present with the Lord today. Because you're worried about something. You're fearful of something. You have, you have debts or you have health problems or your job's at, uh, on the brink, brinks or, or you're worried about the election. But there is unbelief and idol worship in all of our hearts. And so for anybody that's hearing this and saying, well, that's not me. I don't really deal with any of those specific things that you're saying. Then maybe yours is pride. Because you're sitting there going, at least I'm not as bad as those people. I'm not like them. Which again is, is leads us to self-righteousness. Which is the most sneaky and deceptive way of being a slave 
to sin. Now, I'm not trying to call anyone out. We are all in this together. We are all fighting for the, our hope to be put in Jesus. But I don't want us to be deceived to think that we do not have a sin issue because we do. And it's a great one. We were made to have a master. Without in the garden, God created Adam and Eve to and, and he was the master and there was without sin. And one day we will, we will be uh, there again. That's called being fully glorified. And right now we're in this process of being sanctified. Where we have a master that's walking with us and guiding us and, and teaching us. And walking us into uh, what it looks like to be in his kingdom. But one day we will be in the presence of our Lord. And we'll be fully glorified without distractions, without things fighting for our attention. And when we do that, we'll be fully present with God. And I think we'll be shockingly aware of God's glory. But right now, we'll never be able to enjoy the magnitude of God's grace if we're not willing to recognize the depth of our sinfulness. Now, when we are ready to confess this, we will delight in the sweetness of his grace. When we lay down our pride and we hold deeply onto Christ as our great Savior. Here's the deal is that perfect people don't need to be saved. But there are none that are perfect except for one that was fully God and fully man in Christ Jesus. And that perfect man came not to be saved, but to die. So that you and I could be set free. And so in verse 19 it says. For just as you once presented your, your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin you were, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of, the, of, these, of those things is death. You see, God placed something in our hearts. This desire to worship. He placed this desire to worship in our hearts for his, his glory. And so when we take what God has placed in our hearts and we begin to worship something other than God, this is the fastest and most powerful force of human destruction there is. This idea that, that God placed us Place the desire to worship him in our hearts and we begin to worship something other than God. And you begin to think that you're able to care for yourself more than the one that created you and knows how to perfectly care for you. And so when that begins to happen, you are free in regards to righteousness, which means that you don't possess righteousness. You don't belong to righteousness. Because of fact... You have become your own righteousness. And what God created for good, we have made war against in our flesh. And we become self-righteous, the opposite of right, the opposite of righteous in Christ Jesus. We become self-righteous. And for that, the end is death. When we are the master, when we are mastered by sin. Righteousness is absent from us. 
which leads probably to the most popular verse here in verse 23 says for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul's shown us these comparisons, these images uh, of having a master and slave relationship. And, and Paul is, is giving this to us to point us to look to Jesus in that eternal promise, that eternal life is found in him and in him alone. But it's also to remind us that there's a payment when we don't find our freedom in Christ. And that payment is death. Sin will always come looking for its payment. And it will be paid in full. It will be paid without extensions, without delay. And the payment is death. With no hope of relief or agony. It is an eternal separation from the one which could have saved and rescued us. The one we could have put our hope in. All because our desires were so hungry to be satisfied. And no one could tell us what to do. Where, where you wanted to be the one that, that would be able to take credit for all things that are good and right. And because we're in a Christian culture, maybe because you're listening to this today, you're thinking, you know what, I'll throw God a bone and I'll show up every once in a while to church and I'll, I, I do those good things because it helps me feel good about myself. But there's still the self-righteous slavery to sin that's going on inside of our hearts. Because we're not at a place that we really want to obey fully God's word. But there's hope. The beauty in all of this is that the grace of the gospel is that there is a master, there is a king, there is a savior who is patient and long-suffering, caring, and loving. This master, we can place our faith in, but we first must come to the place to confess we cannot do it on our own. We have to be willing and prepared to be mastered by someone other than ourselves. We have to be prepared to surrender and submit to a loving and caring master. It has to be Jesus who's in control. He knows what's best for us. He knows when to hit the gas and when to hit the throttle. We have to be willing to surrender and to obey his word over our feelings. In his death, burial, and resurrection, it shows us that he died to self for us to be made alive in him. We are a new creation with a new master who has given us a new journey with a new destination for our lives. He does not want us uh, to settle with just being okay, thinking that one day I'm going to take care of this, this sin issue. I'm going to manage my sin until I can get past it. He doesn't want us just to sit idle like that. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity uh, wrote this. Now, there are a, a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to live only 70 years. But which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are gradually getting worse. So gradually that the increase in 70 years will not be very noticeable. But it might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, 
If Christianity is true, hell is precisely the correct technical term for what it would be. Our lives here, we're not promised tomorrow. Our days are numbered. Our life is just a vapor. But eternity awaits. And along with eternity, there is a master. Can you imagine the consequences of your sin? Which you are a slave to right now. How bad it would be in a million years. The magnitude of of what seems not that big of an issue. Not that big of a lust problem. Not that big of an anger issue. Could you imagine what it would be like if you were left to yourself? To keep managing and balancing and hiding and changing this sin issue and keeping it at bay. If you were your own sustainer, could you imagine how bad it would be like in a million years? I think what C.S. Lewis is, is saying here is, God, please don't leave us to be like this. Don't leave us to, to trust ourselves. Don't let them, don't let us be the master of our, of our own lives. Don't leave us as a slave to sin. Grant us faith to believe in Jesus and in his finished work. If we are not people that are going to cling to the gospel, which frees us from being the manager of our sin and sweeps through with the power of the Holy Spirit and crushes sin and crushes the penalty of sin. He frees us from our sin, teaches us what it looks like to notice our sin quickly and to repent. He teaches us to confess that we're not trusting the gospel. He teaches us to confess that we're not trusting something about God. The Holy Spirit brings conviction in our lives to show us that we that we are sliding away from from trusting the Lord and we're beginning to trust ourselves again. Only the work of the Holy Spirit can draw us to a place to recognize that, to be quick to repent, and to go back into the arms of our true and loving master. And that's where we'll know the God of peace. So when Paul asks the question in verse 15, should we go, it was asked, should we go on sinning? The answer is no. Because we have a master who has freed us and has set us on a new journey. We don't need to sin to prove God to be graceful. (laughs) Listen, we're going to sin anyway, but now we find our hope in something greater than ourselves. When we sin, we find our hope in Christ Jesus. And the more mature we get and the longer we are sanctified and the more we walk with God, the quicker we are to recognize our sin behavior and turn and repent and rely on God, not relying on ourselves. So how does that have to happen? Paul goes on in chapter 7 and he articulates the very thing that he's been talking about the entire time through drawing out this picture of marriage. This beautiful picture of of marriage, of a man and a woman who are are devoted to each other. And he says it's not lawful for a woman to go and to be married to another man while her husband is still alive. That's not lawful. That's why we say in, in a wedding ceremony. Until death do us part. Someone has to die for it to be lawful for someone to remarry. So this imagery continues to show us what happened 
for us to have a new master. But for us to have a new master, we have to first recognize that we do have a master. We were born into being a slave to sin. Our master being sin. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were nature, and by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So what has to happen? We have to die with Christ. We have to die with Christ to be broken of this, this slave of sin relationship and be raised with Christ. And so we're no longer mastered by sin. We're no longer married to sin and its impact and its effect. But we are now married to the one who can rescue us from the sin and the penalty of sin, which is death. We are free to live with him as our husband. We are free to follow Jesus. The life we live outside of Christ is exhausting. We've all felt that. We've all felt how tiresome it is. And we all realize deep down we're never satisfied and it really will never work as something that's created to be our master, which it's ourself or something else. We will always fail and be failed. We will always disappoint others and be disappointed by others. We will always hurt and we'll always be hurt. It's exhausting. And if we're parents, then what we're doing is that we're teaching our children the exact same thing that they that they too are just going to be self-reliant, self-righteous idol worshipers. And so we have to take that and start discipling our children toward the true master in Christ Jesus. And how do we do that? We do that by dying with Christ. And then this relationship to sin is broken. And we're, we're raised with Christ in the newness of his creation. That's why I talk about in premarital counseling. For those that I've, I've, I've worked with and have done their premarital counseling, uh, I say this probably exhausting amounts of time. Christ has to be the center of your relationship. You have to love Jesus more than you're going to love your husband or your wife or your children or your job. You have to love Jesus more. Jesus has to be the center of the relationship. Wives, you'll never know how to submit to God. If, uh, submit to your husband if you don't first know how to submit to God. Husbands, you're never going to know how to love your wives if you don't first know and understand uh, how Christ has loved the church. This is a beautiful picture that shows us who our good and perfect leader and master is of our home, of this church, of this entire creation. He is a good and perfect master. One who perfectly knows how to, to care for that which he created. We as, as humans don't know how to do this. We don't know how to perfectly love or perfectly care. So we have to, to look to the one who has done this and, and continues 
to do that. But how? Jesus gave himself up for us. Jesus gave himself up. He died to himself. Which, which when, when the Father raises him from the dead, that, that he is showing that this is our good and perfect master and savior that we should follow. And hear this today. You are free to follow Jesus. Do you know who your master is? Is God's word ruling over your life or is sin ruling over your life? Jesus came so that we could be freed from this, that we can run to him, that we can that we can put our, our, our lives and our hope and our trust in him. But we first must Recognize we have a sin problem. And we have to surrender to Christ and die to ourselves for him to be glorified. And this is good news, y'all. This is good news that we can rely on a perfect and loving Savior. For those that are at home and we're going to continue to worship through uh, communion today, let this text guide us into the understanding that that Jesus did for us what we can never do on our own and he wants to be your master your savior the lover of your soul and so I want to set up communion now uh, by just reading this text from first Corinthians it says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He has created a new journey, a new covenant, a new way, a new path for us. I pray today that we would be quick to turn, repent, and to follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and how it is the authority of our lives. How it does give us life. It gives us freedom. It shows us where we can um, die to self and how to die to self and how to trust you. And in a time, Lord, where we uh, we really like the idea of being our own masters and being self-righteous and not depending on anyone. God, I pray that you put people in our lives today that would remind us of our great need in you. And that we wouldn't rebel or be allergic to the idea of someone pushing us or or, or uh, challenging us to follow hard after you, Christ. But instead, we would be uh, reminded and celebrating the fact that you have called us to this. And as we take communion today, Lord, that that would remind us of our great need in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your love. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.